Chapter 6, Part 2 of Sin and Its Consequences by Henry Edward Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6, Temptation, Part 2. Number 4. All the manifold temptations of life are used by God for these two purposes. First, to try us, as I have said, and to increase our merit and therefore our reward and secondly to sanctify the soul out of the very temptations themselves god creates the discipline of sanctification as to the first you understand what merit is we took care to distinguish and define with all precision what is the meaning of merit it does not mean that we as creatures can snatch by right anything out of the hands of god but that god has promised he will attach to certain actions a certain reward of his own sovereign grace well a man is tempted to anger ambition falsehood or whatever you will if he resists those temptations as a good soldier of jesus christ he proves himself to be faithful and fearless in his warfare if he resists the temptations to sloth indulgence and pleasure which prevail over softer natures he shows himself to be a child of god and a faithful friend to his divine friend he proves that he will neither be scared nor bribed to give up his fidelity and therefore every such act of resistance to temptation is first of all an act of faith it is done for motives of faith it is done because we appreciate the goodness and love of god we make a deliberate choice between god and the temptation and we put our foot on the temptation that we may hold fast by god every single act of resisting temptation obtains merit and reward in the sight of god and they who are the most tempted obtain the most merit if they faithfully resist so that the life that is harassed and buffeted with temptations without ceasing if we persevere is laying up perpetually more and more of merit before god and more and more of reward in eternal life and every such act of resistance to temptation is an act of love to god though we say nothing our actions are always breathing upwards oh my god i would rather die than do this and that for thy sake and every time we so act god interprets it as an act of love to himself he knows us as our lord knew peter when he said lord thou knowest all things thou knowest that i love thee john chapter twenty one verse fifteen and once more it is an act of self-mortification we are mortifying ourselves in the doing of it and when we mortify ourselves that act is acceptable in the sight of god it is the spirit of the cross it is an inward crucifixion of the flesh of its affections and concupiscences which is the mark of a true christian so as i said before 
though a man were walking in the furnace of temptations of every kind yet if he resists them he is making acts of faith love and self-mortification all the day long increasing his merit before god and the reward that is laid up for him in heaven number five and the other effect is this that god uses those very temptations as the means of our sanctification you remember saint paul says lest i should be lifted up by the multitude of the revelations god gave me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of satan to buffet me and for this cause i besought the lord thrice that it might depart from me but he said my grace is sufficient for thee for strength is made perfect in infirmity two corinthians chapter twelve verse seven that is to say that god made use of his temptations to perfect him in sanctity first of all he humbles us by them there is nothing that gives self-knowledge so much as temptation until a man is tried nobody knows what is in him it is an old proverb until a man is tried in temptation he does not know himself he does not know how he will act in any circumstances except those of his ordinary life until he is tried a man who thinks that he is afar off from being proud let him find himself superior to his neighbors a man who thinks he is in no danger of being covetous let him suddenly become rich a man who thinks he is in no danger of falling into particular temptations some day finds himself surrounded by them he then learns what he is some man who thinks he could never tell a lie is taken all of a sudden he falls from his sincerity now temptation teaches us to know what we are it throws a light in upon our hearts and we learn that before god we are spotted and stained and full of tumultuous affections and passions with crookedness in the will darkness in the understanding and when we come to the knowledge of this it breaks down the loftiness of our vainglory it is a very unpleasant discovery but very wholesome nothing so salutary as for a man to find his own great instability that he cannot trust himself when he has come to know that he cannot trust himself then he has come to know his need of the grace of god and not till then we read in the life of saint philip neri two most instructive passages the one is this he used to have a habit of saying o oh my god keep thy hand on my head for if thou shouldst let me go i should break loose and do thee all manner of harm the wound in thy side is large but i should make it larger he had such a sense of his own instability and of his own weakness by nature that unless the grace of the holy spirit sanctified and sustained him he knew he could not stand and that if he fell there was no knowing to what he might go this grew upon him all his life 
so that in a sickness in which they thought he was near to die he prayed that god would raise him up that he might do a little more good before he died he was raised up but some years afterwards he fell again sick unto death as all about him believed and for what did he pray then o oh my god take me away that i may do no more harm he had learned to know himself profoundly temptations and trials had made him understand his own nature and in the sight of god he was becoming humbler and holier every day next god uses temptations to chastise us for the temptations which beset us are nine times in ten the effects and the consequences of the faults and sins of our past life god makes use of the sins and faults we have committed in past years in childhood boyhood youth to scourge and to humble us in our manhood and old age and he thereby brings to our memory things we should have forgotten lastly he uses temptations to awaken and excite in our hearts a hatred of sin and nothing makes us hate sin so much when once we have turned away from sin and are no longer consciously guilty then the hatefulness hideousness deformity the blackness of sin becomes more and more terrible to us the longer we live in whose eyes is sin the most hateful is it hateful in the eyes of the sinner or is it hateful in the eyes of god in proportion as we are free from sin in that proportion sin becomes hateful just as we grow in light and in grace in purity in sanctification just in that measure sin is hateful to us and just as we are tempted to learn to know more and more the hatefulness of sin we begin first by hating sin in itself but we do not stop with that abstract hatred our next hatred is against what we were once we remember what we were once upon a time we recollect what our boyhood or youth was and there it is before us the sun by the photograph does not take so precise and so terrible a portrait as the conscience enlightened by the holy ghost takes of our past life when we see what we once were before the grace of god converted us the sins we committed in all their darkness and in all their multitude in all their perversity and in all their ingratitude when all this is before us and we see our past the character we once had hanging like a portrait on the wall drawn by the pencil of the holy ghost in all its hideousness we hate ourselves we hate what we were then and we hate everything that reminds us of it the places the persons the memorials the tokens everything associated with it i the music and the pictures and the objects of sight the books and tales the poems the friendships whose influence and whispers were in time past the darkness and downfall of our soul 
all this is hateful and we go on farther our present self our present character full of imperfections and more than that and the more we know ourself in the light of god's presence the more we shall come to have that humble sense of self-abhorrence which in the sight of god is the mark of a true penitent now brethren i have given you the way to distinguish between sins and temptations and i say with confidence that anybody who can look upon his past and upon his present with this feeling of hatred and sorrow and humility may console himself with the conviction that whatever temptations beset him from without his heart and his will are intensely and firmly set against those temptations and that sin has no part in him it is no more i but sin that dwelleth in me romans chapter seven verse seventeen i then have given you the reasons first that temptation is inevitable that temptation is universal that temptation which is not consented to is not sin that temptation resisted is a perpetual increase of merit and temptation resisted brings a continual growth of sanctification i have now only two simple counsels to add all this is true subject to two conditions the one is that we avoid the occasions of sin you know what the word means there is a difference between an occasion of sin and a temptation to sin a temptation to sin means a positive danger present here and now but an occasion of sin may mean something lawful in itself which may lead us on to the danger of sin the occasions may sometimes be lawful things altogether innocent things which like slippery places in our path deceive our tread there are three reasons why we are bound to avoid the occasions of sin the first is this that no man when he makes his confession kneeling under a crucifix can make a good confession or can escape the risk of a sacrilegious confession and no man can receive a valid absolution who does not at the time when he accuses himself of his sins make a firm sincere and steadfast resolution to avoid those sins and all that leads to them if he has not got the will to give up the occasions which have caused him in past times to sin and to commit the very sins of which he is now asking absolution in the presence of god it is a perfect certainty that he has not the sorrow which is necessary for the sins he has committed now there are two kinds of occasions there are some which are called necessary and some that are called voluntary the distinction is this let me suppose for a moment that some of you are tempted to unbelief i trust in god none of you are but let me suppose it as possible and that you have a brother living in the same house with you who unfortunately being an unbeliever 
pours out all kinds of infidel objections and rationalist doubts against the revelation of god you cannot leave your home you cannot send him out of it there he is you are obliged to dwell with him it is an occasion of temptation to you and may be an occasion of sin you cannot get rid of it it is necessary there it abides it is beyond your power and control god will not call you to an account for not leaving your home under those circumstances but if you voluntarily and willingly seek conversation on those matters with such a person that is your voluntary act and if you do so you are responsible and unless you steadfastly resolve not to do so you cannot have absolution of those sins of doubt against faith into which you have voluntarily plunged yourself i give this as an example apply it in your own heart to every form of sin and of temptation i will not particularize but you know perfectly well how easily you may transfer the example i have given to every other kind it is necessary then to your valid absolution that you should steadfastly resolve to avoid every voluntary occasion of sin secondly it is a part of the reparation due from you to our divine saviour that having offended him you will not allow yourselves to be drawn back into the same occasions the duty of reparation which you owe to him after he has absolved you in his precious blood is steadfastly to resist and watchfully to avoid all those circumstances and occasions which have led you to offend him before we read in the book of acts that the christians at ephesus were given to what are called curious arts omens magic superstition and the like when they were illuminated by the faith they brought their books and burned them in a public place the people of milan after a mission collected together their foolish books romances poetry bad books and bad pictures masks dresses used in masquerades musical instruments used in vanity and folly the luxurious and ostentatious ornaments of their persons and a multitude of other things as cards dice the means of gambling folly and loss of time whatsoever had been to them causes of temptation they brought them all together into the piazza del duomo and made of them a great bonfire i am not going to ask you to make a great bonfire in the streets of london but what they did materially you may do spiritually and morally every one of you you know and will find out what things have been the cause and occasion of sin to you not only in deed but in word in thought in imagination give them up have nothing to do with them put them far from you turn your face from them put your foot on them and then if your temptations recur you may look up in the face of your heavenly father and your divine master 
and take the peace of knowing that the recurrence of those temptations is chastisement and humiliation and not your present fault i do not wish to go into particulars to do so would lead me into minute details which it is well rather to avoid it is better always to give principles and rules because men of mature mind persons of christian faith will be able to make an application but i will mention the names of a few of these things i ask first of all in the use of your food how much money is wasted in the needless indulgence of the palate what delicacy and fastidiousness of pleasing the taste is to be found where nobody would suspect it how much money is wasted in drink and am i not speaking to you as i should speak if i were in some other part of my flock but i must say that even in those who are educated who belong to the upper region or stratum of society there is an amount of excessive indulgence in those things which blunts the intelligence unnerves the will relaxes the habits of life deadens the heart extinguishes the spirit of piety disturbs the peace of homes and may lead on to worse i am bound to tell you openly that even among persons of education refinement and of birth every priest in his experience and i myself in mine have known terrible examples of this bondage to drink which has continued even unto death how many miserable souls have died bound in chains of a vice which began perhaps with habits like your own never suspected at first until at last they become indissoluble therefore i say in your food in eating and drinking be simple be self-denying have the high common sense of christians do not care for such things give no thought to them the church enjoins fasting and abstinence but fasting and abstinence seem dying out why because people are growing so self-indulgent and so fanciful their health will not stand it and their physician says they cannot endure it and sometimes even their confessor is besieged until he gives way there is a law of liberty by which we are to be judged at the last day st james says so speak ye and do as being to be judged by the law of liberty james chapter two verse twelve now i am appealing to you in the liberty of christians in the generosity and gratitude of those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of jesus christ i say deny yourselves in these trivial but dangerous things next there is a subject too large for me to do more than touch i mean your dress i put it first upon the ground of costliness and expense and waste of money but i may not put it on that only dear brethren i always avoid entering into details on this matter i have nothing to do with colors forms and fashions these are things which belong to you but i have to do with the morals of dress 
i have to do with the faults which spring from luxury in dress and the sin to which luxury and ostentation of dress may lead that i have to deal with and what i always try to do is to lay down counsels of broad christian common sense i only wish you knew where fashions come from from some obscure room in some luxurious and corrupt city where by a sort of secret society of folly rules are laid down and decrees come forth year after year which are followed with a servility and i may say with a want of christian matronly dignity so that the foolish fashion that some foolish person has foolishly invented is propagated all over the civilized countries of europe from winter to winter and spring to spring our nearest friends are hardly to be recognized they are dressed up and built up and masqueraded in a way sometimes to provoke laughter or pity or regret i must tell you what once happened to me i was walking through one of our parks and i saw three persons of whom one was dressed according to the novelty of some fashion then coming in and there followed behind them two plain working men i heard one say to the other she only does it to be looked at remember these words of just reproof that is the estimate which is formed of fashion by the good solid sense of the english people they pity it and despise it our forefathers and the women of another age did not bend and undulate with every wind that is wafted over the sea they dressed and attired themselves as christian women taking counsel of their good sense and attiring themselves as was befitting their station in life without singularity of plainness which is one of the affectations of vanity and without a servile copying of fashion which is the spirit of the world this will give you certain principles and all i will add is that there was a time when in lent people wore black i do not say it made them more pious or penitent but i do say it is more in accordance with the time of humiliation and fasting than the gewgaws and glaring colors peacock's tails and rainbows which are to be seen not only in our streets but round about our altars there was a custom only a little while ago and it prevails now in catholic countries that no woman came into the house of god unless her head was covered by the wearing of a veil or at least some such covering of the head it is enjoined in scripture and enjoined too by a law on the door of every church in rome and at this moment i believe it is still to be found there i doubt even if the revolution has taken it down i remember that as long as rome was the city of the vicar of jesus christ women were wont to come to the church in fitting attire i leave this again to you now i have done this is a subject beyond me except so far as the morals of dress all the rest of it i leave to your good sense and to your piety 
i cannot dwell on the other points but i would say study well what you can do in a spirit of liberty and generosity in the expenditure of money see how many thousands are in want the hospitals of london will not contain the one-fifteenth part of those that are mortally sick and we go about spending money without thinking of those who are dying round about us there are tens of thousands of children perishing in the streets without christian education and we can with all possible calmness go and squander our money upon ourselves i apply the same to your pleasures i am no rigorist and no puritan and i love to see people happy and to look on at their innocent enjoyment but there are some kinds of enjoyments and amusements some kinds of tastes which a christian instinct forbids us to approve dear brethren i hope you will consult holy scripture and your conscience and see what kind of amusement and what kind of pleasure you will look back on calmly from your deathbed and what kind of enjoyment will give you peace in that hour lastly i would say to you make a resolution this lent for lent is now finishing we shall meet again on good friday to meditate upon the passion of our divine lord and saviour jesus christ make now some one resolution of self-denial out of your full christian liberty offer up something as a memorial i will not prescribe it choose it for yourselves prayer piety watchfulness self-denial and purity of heart these five things will keep your will firm and if your will be firm it will expel every temptation that enters by the senses or by the passions or by the affections as the flame of a furnace which consumes everything that approaches to its mouth it will expel and cast out of you all things contrary to your sanctification remember then what our lord has promised he suffered temptation that we might have a fellow feeling with you and you may appeal to him in your temptations you may say o my lord thou didst suffer in the desert for my sake thou seest the power of this temptation which is upon me have pity on me uphold me for of myself i cannot stand he knows how to feel with those that are tempted and in the midst of your temptations he is perpetually saying to each one of you he that overcometh to him i will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of my god he that overcometh shall be a pillar in the temple of my god and he shall go no more out to him that overcometh i will give to eat of the hidden manna and the white counter and on the white counter a new name written which name knoweth no man save only him that receiveth it he that overcometh shall sit down in my throne even as i also overcame and am sat down in the throne of my father
End of chapter 6, part 2